Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we proudly bring to you Mormonism Live! Shut up and sit down. Good evening, Mr. Real. How are you doing? I, I can't hear you through all that applause. What was that, RFM? I was saying you look marvelous tonight, Mr. Hey, Real. Look at that. A little hot pink in, in name in the name of strong female voices in Mormonism, which is what we're going to uh, be pointing to some strong female voices tonight. But before we get started in tonight's topic, um, any thoughts from you on anything going on in your life? Yes, absolutely. This Saturday is a big day, Bill. Maybe you've heard of it. It's January 22nd, 2022. It is Worldwide Thrive Day. Yeah, I'm going to be in Las Vegas at the Vegas Thrive speaking there. I hear you've got a special assignment. Yeah, Bright Light City going to set my soul, going to set my soul on fire. Will it be raining there in Seattle? Uh, almost certainly. There's an old saying up here that there's a way to tell the weather. And if you can... See Mount Rainier. No, if you can't see Mount Rainier, it's raining. And if you can see Mount Rainier, it's going to rain. <laughs> Welcome to Seattle, Washington. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I think we're going to have good weather this weekend. I am working on my presentation almost even as we speak. I've gotten some magical supplies that I had to order because I lost all the stuff I had when I was a kid. And hopefully I'll be performing some magic and relating it in some way or other to the subject of Mormonism. Hence yeah. the title of my speech, Magic and Mormonism. Yeah, um, that almost sounds a little D. Michael Quinesh. Yes, it isn't. Well, it is kind of, except this magic is not the folk magic. This magic no. is, uh, well, you know, what magicians do. Real Tricks. magic. It's real magic. And if you actually, if you look at this, okay, so here's something I probably won't be doing, but you know, it's the old ball and vase trick, right? <laughs> you, you, I don't know if you can see this, but this this vase has a ball in it. It's a blue ball, right? So we take that out. We make that vanish by something miraculous or other. Place this back over the top, right? Snap the fingers, and lo and behold, what has happened? But, oops, sorry, I took it out of the camera view. Huh. Ah, the ball is back. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. Okay, yeah. so um, I'm not going to tell you how I did that because <laughs> I don't want to spoil the secret. So if you want to see some radio free Mormon <laughs> magic tricks, go to Seattle, Washington's thrive this coming yes. weekend. Oh, it'll awesome. be worth the price of admission. I guarantee. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, yeah. Life is good. The show is rolling along and uh, tonight uh, we wanted to talk about ERA and I don't mean earn run average uh, from baseball. We're not going to be talking any sports tonight. We're well, talking about um, the church magazine, the new era. No, no, something very different from that. So I will bring on our guest. This is Kelly Whited-Jones and my good friend, Jana Spangler. Um, let me uh, make sure you guys are muted. You are. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing great. Really great. Glad to be with you. Good, good. You know, this is a topic I've been wanting to cover personally for some time now. And uh, I'll give you my little preface and then we can jump into you guys introducing each other. 
um, introducing yourselves, I'm sorry, to the audience. And the thing that I've been thinking about for years now and been wanting to kind of get to cover this topic is this idea that Mormonism often tries to paint itself um, as being a major factor in helping Utah to be at the forefront of women's rights. And we'll get into some of the quotes and some of the things that have been said, some of the things that have happened. But my understanding sitting back is there's a very different story to be told, as well as uh, us understanding where things are at currently in the state of Utah with women's rights. And uh, why don't we, before we jump into the questions, why don't we allow each of you to kind of introduce yourself? Uh, Kelly, would you get us started? You bet. You bet. So Kelly Whited Jones, I, I've been working on the Equal Rights Amendment now since about 2016, but I've kind of always been a Mormon feminist, even if I thought there I was the only one <laughs> for many years. Um, I kind of got started with the Equal Rights Amendment. The first time I heard about it was growing up. My sister actually left our religion uh, when Sonia Johnson was excommunicated for mm -hmm. her support of the Equal Rights Amendment. So uh, Sonia Johnson had headed up the Mormons for ERA. Here's my lovely badge. Mm. Um, and and when she was excommunicated for her support of women's rights, that's when my sister sort of left the church. So I grew up really feeling like hushed tones. It was talked about in really, um, it was almost like saying a swear word at my house. So we didn't really learn a lot about it until I left, went to college, started to read the actual language of the ERA, and thought, how in the world? This is so simple, um, so reasonable. How is it that we are still waiting to have this certified? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just a little bit about me. I have three kids. I'm a, a professor. I teach at the University of Utah and at Salt Lake Community College in communication. And I grew up in Orem and now live in North Salt Lake. So I, I understand about kind of conservative geography <laughs> and, um, I'm grateful to have a chance to work for women in our state. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, Jana, a lot of the audience is going to know who you are. Uh, I know that I've had you on multiple times to uh, be a wise voice in various episodes of podcasts that I've been part of. Uh, Jana, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. I'm Jana Spangler and um, I live in Salt Lake City. I am a, a, an integral life coach with Symmetry Solutions. I work directly with people who are dealing with faith transition. Um, it's something that I myself have been through, and I was so excited to be invited to this particular conversation. I'm really interested in um, in politics, and in the, and I have kind of an interesting history myself with politics. In 2008, I mean, I was raised in a very, very conservative home politically, where you know, feminism, ERA, they were dirty words in my home growing up. And um, as recently as 2008, I was serving as, actually, I think in 2010 also, I served as a Republican delegate in Utah. And um, since I've gone through faith transition, uh, by 2016, I was attending the Women's March in Washington, D.C. So I've had, I kind of have political whiplash a little bit, um, but I feel like it, it, brings a lot of maybe recent uh, experience with different political ideals, especially as it deals with feminism and the ERA, because a lot of that has blown up for me um, since I went through a big 
shift in perspective. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I want to jump into it. And uh, I, I, I'm going to start way back in time and I'm hoping maybe you guys can give us a bit of a history lesson uh, as well. And as I ask questions, whichever one of you wants to kind of jump in and uh, take the lead and, and wherever you, you want to kind of add something, feel free, but um, let's go back into early Utah statehood and when uh, equal rights amendment first begins to kind of make some noise. And I want to go back to even further where we're talking about women's right to vote and um, the timeline of kind of when that happens in the role that Utah plays and some of what's going on at the time that gives context for why the state of Utah did things the way they did things when they did them. Um, any thoughts from the two of you to get us started kind of in that direction? You bet. I don't mind jumping in here, if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, Utah, Utah has a great history, I think, with equal rights in general. So if we think about back to Emmeline B. Wells and her work with the Women's Exponent, which was really one of the first periodicals west of the Mississippi, and she was the editor of that paper for 37 years and uh, prior to becoming General Relief Society president. And her efforts for women's suffrage in particular, but for women's rights in general, was uh, was fantastic. If you've ever gone back and looked at, I had to look at it at, on Microfish at the University of Utah, but if you've looked at some of the articles that she wrote, she did not have a problem calling out current church leaders, um, voicing very strongly that, uh, that women needed to have uh, pronounced rights. And I think her difficulties with polygamy certainly factored into that. She was kind of the unfavored wife in some ways, um, and so had to support herself financially. Um, and, and I think she understood, I think on a, a powerful level, um, the ways that women were really suffering and from the inequalities in our community, just right as we got started here in Utah. Kelly, I don't mean to throw you off your track or anything, but what yeah. you said made me think of a quote that Maven brought to my attention just earlier today. And it involved the exponent, but it was a modern day quote from Sister Bingham, I'm pretty sure it was. And she was talking about how great a history and up to the present, apparently, the church has in supporting and promoting women's rights and gave us an example, this Exponent magazine, which was run by women and published by women, and uh, giving that as an example of how great the church has been about women's rights. Do you have any reaction to that? Well, I, when I think about Emmeline and those that were, uh, even my ancestors who uh, came here and, and worked hard for, um, for suffrage to take place, I think that they couldn't really be denied. I think when you have pulled the wagon train with your husband, with your spouse, um, then you it's, it's interesting to me to see how things have shifted, I think, over time. So I think in that time period, there was a sense that we're going to respect women. We're going to we are going to support them in this effort. Um, certainly, there were other motivations around polygamy and statehood for that support of of women's suffrage initially and women's rights too. But um, but I think there was a, a difference back then, and and I think we have lost a little bit of that. I think along the way. Yeah, when I see this quote from Sister Bingham. Um, it strikes me that what she's talking about is something that happened a hundred years ago. And she's sort of saying it in a way that it applies since a hundred years ago. 
but it doesn't seem like the church has continued in that trajectory of protecting and promoting women's rights. If anything, it seems to have gone the opposite direction in the intervening 100 years. Your thoughts? I mean, I can speak to that. I I think that's that's my perception as well, that that's absolutely true, that that late in the 19th century, um, women in Utah actually did have some extraordinary rights for the time beyond just the right to vote. They also had the right to own property. They had the right to conduct business. They had the right to file for divorce based on incompatibility. Um, and actually, a Mormon woman was the first in the nation elected to the uh, state Senate. And she actually defeated her own husband in, 18, <laughs> in 1896. <laughs> um, so I, I think that I definitely have that perception that we, they started out pretty progressive um, in women's rights, but it was somewhere I'm thinking around the 1920s that women started seeing that in Utah, started to see that slip away. And this strong idea of family values and, and the, the traditional you know, Mormon family started to come online and, um, and women largely the, the leadership of the church went along with it and felt like this was the correct order of God, that, that the Relief Society being subordinated was um, in, in to, the, to the church and, and losing some of its autonomy was actually a good thing because the priesthood was supposed to be presiding. I'm curious, you guys, on the role that polygamy maybe plays in some of that early support of, of the things you just laid out, and including the women's right to vote, your thoughts on how maybe polygamy helped those things happen or assisted those things or at least played some sort of role? Uh, I do think that as women have come into leadership positions, they cannot help but see the inequalities that, that women in our state face. And I think they're, so it's interesting to see them shift their their thinking. So as more women did gain the right to vote and then more were introduced to political life, I mean, we started out in with, in our state constitution, an equality clause. We were the only the second state to have an equality clause. And, and it reads very similarly to the Equal Rights Amendment. It has that same um, sentence, shall not be denied or abridged on account of sex. And it's listed in our state constitution, but it, it it, under political life, but it defines both political and civic engagement. So there's been some suggestion, hey, we've had this, this equality clause kind of buried in our state constitution since the beginning. Um, but now we're, we're looking at a reality um, for women in our state where we, we regularly come in last on equality metrics. So Wallet Hub is a, an economic uh, magazine that, or, um, periodical that, that rates and each state based on about 12 or 13 standards to determine if they're good for women's equality. And we consistently over the last four years have come in last. I think Idaho was dead last this time. So we were second to last this year, but but there's a real disconnect there from sort of insisting that women's rights be in our state constitution. Um, Something that we lost, right? We lost statehood because of polygamy so women like Emmeline B. Wells had to win it twice. They had to work double hard to 
gain that right to vote because they lost it due to polygamy. I don't want to accelerate you too fast in your timeline, but it there are so many things that seem counterintuitive here with a, a culture practicing polygamy and treating women, well, in some regards, very much as, as property and objects. And on the other hand, giving them suffrage, giving them uh, the equal rights clause in the Utah State Constitution. Um, but... The, my question that I have is, why would it be that the same church that put the Equality Clause in the state constitution, fast forward then to the 1970s, and the church comes out and takes an official position against the Equal Rights Amendment, which seems to be very similar to that clause in the Utah state constitution? Why do you think that is? Jana, do you want to start? <laughs> I mean, I don't know that I'm a history expert on this kind of a thing, but, you know, I just can't help but connect it to this, you know, strong backlash that the church itself had to the, the reforms of the 60s. You know, I, I was born in 1972. Um, I've seen several um, analyses of, you know, wording in general conference and and a lot of the way that the church was talking shifted in the early 70s and then just really sped up um, in in trying to save people save the family from these horrible things that were happening in the world and um, so I just can't help but think that this cultural shift and the and you know Ezra Taft Benson coming in and and a lot of the political right and being connected to the John Birch Society and all of that um, led up to the, the situation we're in now. That really, I, I, we're, we're making tiny, tiny steps, just painfully slow away from it, but it's put us in such a bind when it comes to any equality between the sexes. And are you talking inside the church or outside the church or both? I mean, I, I think that it's probably both. I, I think it's probably the church for sure within the church, but also just the Christian right in America. I mean, as I as I kind of was doing some reading up on the ERA to get ready for this, I mean, like um, Phyllis, what, what's her name? Schlafly. Schlafly. I can't say her word, her name. Schlafly. Is it Schlafly? Schlafly, I think. Okay. Yeah, Phyllis Schlafly. I mean, she she was not an LDS woman, but boy, we just kind of fell right in line with the Eagle Forum and with what a lot of the Christian right was doing. So absolutely. In fact, um, Phyllis Schlafly came here and met with Barbara Smith in 1974 to lobby against the Equal Rights Amendment. And, and Barbara actually then went, she was a president of the Relief Society at that time. She went and talked to the uh, leadership, asking them to really take a, a position and I, I think that's pretty dramatic. I think that there's a reckoning that needs to take place uh, around the ways that Mormonism has worked in a concerted effort, an organized way to really prevent women's full equality under the law. That, that has to take place. Certainly that happened in the 1970s. Um, and, and the church, they, they went pretty far with it. They created a, a committee that was devoted um, just to stopping the Equal Rights Amendment. And some of our uh, later prophets served on that committee, including Gordon B. Hinckley. 
um, as a young man. So there's a long history there of, of, uh, of putting roadblocks in the way of women as they were working for greater equality, so much so that women were given callings. They were bused to conventions to vote no on, on all the measures that would support women's equality. This was in 1975 to 1977. And this is thousands of women, is that right? Absolutely. They had projected for one of the conferences that they would have 3,000 women. The church asked uh, women to and bust them in. There were 12,000 women that converged on this conference, meaning that any of the measures that were brought forward were immediately voted down, even some that had nothing to do with the Equal Rights Amendment. By the way, I think maybe we need a little bit of background here, which is that this is a, an amendment, a proposed amendment to the Constitution, which means that the Constitution provides for the way it can be amended. There has to be, first off, passed by the federal legislature, and that's by a supermajority vote. Isn't that correct in both houses? Right, right. So there's the first hurdle, because we can amend the Constitution. It's just not supposed to be easy for obvious reasons. But then once it was passed by the federal legislature, and what year was that? 1972. Thank you, 1972. Then there's a process. The second part is that 75% of the state legislatures then have to vote to ratify it. Now, does the vote in the state legislatures also have to be a supermajority or is it a simple majority? Do you know? I believe it's a simple majority. Okay. So but 75 38 states. Yeah. Yeah, 38 states, right. Because you got you round up to get to the seventy five percent, and so my understanding then is that uh, there were twenty some odd, and you'll know the exact number, twenty some odd states that relatively quickly ratified it. Is that right? Right. But then it started to slow down, and right now, what we're talking about about the church busing thousands of women to a convention, are we talking about the ratification attempt in Utah or something else? So something else, but in it was declared the year of the woman. And so many of the efforts that, that the Equal Rights Amendment passage had kind of kicked off and some of the, the gains that had put in, in uh, process were, were being voted on. And so it, it was a moment, in, it was a really powerful moment for women to come together in these conferences and vote on some of these measures. So yeah, they, um, a Congresswoman Karen Shepard, uh, only our second Congresswoman here in Utah, to be elected, she was part of that effort. And she described it this last summer as just being devastated. The women who were involved in putting this conference together had worked so hard over many, many months to put this together and then to have it just absolutely ruined was, was devastating for so many women here in Utah. You said this was recently? No, 1974. Okay, we're still um, back in then. Right, okay, 1974. Yeah. And it was ruined by the church busing in all these uh, Mormon women with yeah. um, orders to vote against? To vote against any of the measures. Some of them were um, some of them were not even to do with the Equal Rights Amendment, but were, were progressive, were going to elevate the status of women here. And they were all, they just voted straight no on everything. So that was a pretty tumultuous time for the Equal Rights Amendment. Um, we did, it did come into the legislature a little bit further on, um, but the night before it was being proposed in the 1975 legislature, the Mormon Church News published a statement in opposition to the ERA. And that's, um, that's overnight, like they had had really great support at that time. There was a really good shot to get it through. 
but um, support for the ERA just through that announcement, the Utah House of Representatives dropped from 36 votes, yes, to 16. Hmm. So just through that announcement, something that has actually been echoed more recently in some of our current efforts, we had a similar situation. And was that the result then of what you were talking about with Phyllis Schlafly, who was really, um, well, at least the female figurehead, as far as I can recall, and I don't recall much, but I know that she assumed a prominence, I think, through this that lasted for decades after that. I think she had a syndicated column. I don't know. Maybe she still does, but still very much a a vocal proponent of whatever it is she's proponenting. But um, so it went from Phyllis Schlafly to the Relief Society president, Barbara Smith, then to the president of the church? The leadership of the church at that time. Okay. And and so, and then, and then these committees were formed, not unlike what was done uh, around Prop 8 in California. So a situation where, where Relief Society meetings were held t- directly to oppose and people were called to callings to go door to door and uh, dissuade women from participating. Yeah, it seems like even Prop 8 on steroids and that the church is not even trying to be behind the scenes about it, not even trying to not draw attention to themselves. I don't know they did a great job, but here they're coming out and actually issuing a publication saying this is the position of the church. We are against the ERA. Right, right. Publishing that and then that immediately had an impact in the legislature. And I think that's the really telling part and the difficult part that we deal with still today is that that we we have a large population of those lawmakers and policymakers that are part of the LDS church and and really represent a real far right um, perspective on this and and so when the church it comes out and makes a statement I'll just tell you in 2016 when we were putting this forward for the 2017 uh, legislative session um, we were told regularly uh, that that the LDS church would not make a comment. It, it was consistently a no comment. In 2018, when Karen Kwan brought her bill to the fore, we we got the same thing, no comment. We will not be making a comment on the Equal Rights Amendment. And that was true the night before we she announced her bill. It was true the morning that she announced her bill. And But at the time uh, uh, we met at the Capitol at, by one o'clock, suddenly there was a comment and, and all the headlines were that the LDS Church still opposes the Equal Rights Amendment. And I'm sorry, this is 2018? 2018. Oh, yeah. I wasn't even aware of this. Yeah, so in 2016, yeah. Senator DeBacchus brought brought it back with a group called Utah Women Unite. And, and we were able to, to have the largest march for women um, in Utah's history that year at, at the Capitol. And, and a huge effort to push it through it got held in rules committee and it's been presented every year to our legislator legislature but that that no comment um, and then suddenly a comment uh, was a concern although what they did say was we haven't we haven't reconsidered our position in 40 years and I would suggest that you know most decisions that haven't been reconsidered in that amount of time really should be yeah i i want to go back to the 70s for a moment and don't we all yeah well yeah it, the well i'd go to the 80s but let's go to the 70s for a moment so and, and it's going to take me a moment to kind of get this thought out which is um as i'm looking at 
the outline that we put together for tonight, there, there's some quotes that are inserted that I want to read a couple of these because it points to what you're talking about. And I want to draw a connection, which is when we started the show, we're talking about Mormonism and Utah and them separately and them together and all that's going on with this. And I think the audience, most of you will understand because I think most of you probably live in Utah, but um, the church has a, a, a history that is deeply complicated, but it often, uh, as RFM pointed out earlier, treats women in its theology as property. Um, and what we run into is that often the the way a woman in Mormonism attains some sort of power or influence is by holding up the patriarchy in the church and supporting it. And what you're pointing to, what happened in the 70s, seems to deeply indicate something very much along those lines. Here's a couple of the quotes that came out during this time. Um, it was like a war, only they had atomic weapons and we had words. The Mormon women, who she estimated had outnumbered non-Mormons by about 10 to 1, could have voted any voted down anything they wanted to, she said. They ran the whole thing. I've never been so rudely treated in my life. Uh, here's another one. Uh, Don Lefever, a uh, spokesman for the Mormon Church, acknowledged that the Relief Society had encouraged its members to take part in the convention and vote for correct principles, right? And so there's this idea that when church leadership says to stand for a thing, as the old quote says, the thinking has been done. And there really isn't room sometimes in Mormonism for us to go, hey, my conscience, my my inner voice is telling me something completely different because it's it's really not permitted. The moment you do that, you become an outsider in this tribe. And the only way you stay an insider is by doing and being loyal to and being obedient to and following um, what the church says. So there may be some degree of kind of wanting to stay uh, conversating about Utah on this issue, but it, these, these two, these two entities, the state of Utah and the LDS church are really tied at the hip on this issue because so much of the population of the state are members of the church. Um, here's another one. The church he says has always been concerned with threats to the stability of the family and the home. How many times on social issues when changes were needed for us as a society uh, to get healthier. Um, has the church come out in trying to combat that by using, hey, we're going to destroy the family. We're going to destroy the home. Uh, he says, we don't make any excuses for our women's participation. We're proud of them. Other women's groups could probably take a note from their book. It just That really bothered me. Yeah. <laughs> Please, Maven, say why. I just wanted to cut it. Well, for first of all, because um, it, it was – it was done at the behest in the council of the men in the church, of course. So to have that in there, like other women's groups could take a note from us. It's, it just blows my mind. But we do have someone in the chat that I just wanted to point out. And I appreciate her being here, but she was um, part of this. I'm just going to show some of her comments. Um, and so, sorry, I'm going to have to dig through some of them about it. But anyway, I just, I just think it's great that she's here and kind of sharing her experience with this. Um, yeah. So I wanted to point that out. And, and I think it's Don Donnell, I think is how it's pronounced. I'm sorry if I'm getting that wrong. But um, yeah, welcome hearing more about this. Um, and let's see, there's another one right here. I just want to show real quick. So 
yeah, I think Will you it's, it's that- hard to go in the back and like realize, you know, the ways that you hurt things. So it's yeah. very brave. Did you want me to go back at something? Sorry. The one, the one you just had up before this one. Yeah. Maven, um, could you read those out loud please. for oh, the sure. people who will be listening to this on audio only? Okay. So I'm going to start over. So the first one that I saw um, says uh, the women who had organized the conference were gracious, but obviously disheartened by our presence. We voted everything down, sadly. And then the next comment from her um, was that the church put out a glossy booklet on why the ERA was dangerous. And she says, I always thought that Dallin Oaks was behind that. Is that what you wanted to talk about, Bill? Just, just this idea that the church on all of these issues, it did the same thing with Prop 8. It's done the same thing in the past in other ways. It, it wants to look as though it's not directly involved, but it does pull these strings behind the scenes. And uh, as Kelly was pointing out a few minutes ago, to to say you're not going to make any comment. In other words, we're just going to let this thing happen, and we're going to let people, you know, vote and and speak out uh, based on their conscience. And then at the last minute to throw a comment in, Mormon and leaders know that they will highly persuade their membership when they make such comments. And I just I just want to note that these quotes all make me really uncomfortable. And as Donnell is pointing out, having been involved personally, maybe on the other side of it at the time, um, Kelly, Jana, there's a couple thoughts. more. Oh, did you yeah, want me please. to read a few more of hers? Yeah, um, just again, for those who are, will be listening and what, and not watching. Um, so another quote from Donnell was some, some woman from the Washington state legislature gave us all signs how to vote on each item presented for a vote. So that's very clear. Like they're being told what to do. Um, and then here's a, another one. The women who organized the conference, she says, I went to were appalled that we Mormon women showed up because men told us to. It was pretty disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kelly, Jen, I want to let you guys jump back in here and um, your thoughts on some of that messaging yeah. that was going I mean, on. To your point, Bill, um, you know, I everything that I had read is that you know, the church was itself was pretty silent on this after it was passed in 1972. And um, it was a last minute thing once this was up for a vote that the church actually spoke spoke out. That polls showed just with a few months before that, that the clear majority of people, and so it's not just the legislature, the, the people in Utah were behind the ERA. And when the church put out that statement coming out against it, um, it immediately went to a clear minority. The, the, the support for it just dropped, not just in the legislature, but actually in the population of Utah. And I, I just think there's, there is this, this loyalty to the church that is the thing that gets you um, praise and accolades and feeling like you're moving toward what you're supposed to be doing, which is moving toward exaltation. Right. Um, and so I, I, I get the feeling that that was the motivation of a lot of women. I mean, really it was women, it was conservative Christian women, including Mormons who doomed the, the ERA from what I, everything I've read. <laughs> it was, it was, <laughs> It, it, yes, it was the leadership of the church who were men who were put this out, but it was it was the women on the ground who who did the damage that that brought down support for it. There, there's also sort of a sense too that as insurance companies recognize that they would have to 
they would have to ensure women as well at the same level as men, uh, that there was a concerted effort, sort of an economic reason to stop ERA as well. So some of those efforts combined, but, um, but certainly I think it's important to talk about that economic piece too, because my, my sense is our economy here in Utah, as well as within the church itself, does run on the unpaid labor of women. And so when they look at this issue, I think there's really a consideration of can patriarchy and equal rights for women exist in the same space? And, and what would that mean for us sort of on a, a you know, a real, um, and how would that impact our state, right, to, to actually put that into place? So we can talk about respecting women, but, but it's still very much in that sense of women on the pedestal. And, and Utah women are uninterested in the pedestal. We, we would really like down from there and we'd like to work as, par in, as partners that we are in, in our relationships. So yeah. I think that the irony there is that there was that great support and there still is that great support. So a poll in 2020 showed that more Mormons, uh, non-Mormons, folks all along that, that spectrum of spirituality supported the Equal Rights Amendment ratification here in Utah, 71%. And of course, more women, there were, I think that broke down into like 80% women, 60% men, but, but still 71% of our population here would like to see that happen. And, and I think that's pretty telling. This came out after the church's announcement. And so what that says to me is that folks really are willing to look at this issue and say, based on my conscience, based on what I understand, I'm not really willing to accept some of those fearful excuses of the past that really came about in the 1970s, uh, like that it was going to ruin the family, like that it would bring about gay marriage, like that it would cause women to serve in the armed forces. I, women serve in every arm of the armed forces now. And what they don't have is protection against assault. What they don't have is, is a clear ladder to climb. So, and what we don't have here in Utah is, is women being able to make meaningful decision decisions. So we've been given some kind of crumbs as Jana kind of described. We're, we're given um, small, small things that, that really don't equate to real power. And so what will, I guess the question that I would, I constantly ask myself is what will it take for that power sharing to take place? And I think it's really gonna involve more men being willing to speak up to stand up in support, to be as concerned about this issue as women. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, There's I an wanted... irony there, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. So it's so often thought of as being a woman's issue. And the reality is the Equal Rights Amendment will help men. Yeah. Um, it, it really is an equalization effort that, that will, will benefit families. So as, as long as, as women are being shortchanged on their paycheck, as long as they are being shortchanged in their decision making, only allowed to really lead women and other ch and children, um, not really able to make clear decisions in in the religion. You know, some of those pieces th they have to come about, and I think there is there is a reckoning happening, and I think there must be a reckoning take place. Yeah, I, I want to. I, I have a question for Kelly. Just um, for people who are out there wondering, like, why do we still need this? We have so many of the protections, you know, in laws we have, um, depending on how you read the 14th Amendment, that may or may not be a protection. <laughs> um, 
But for those who are wondering why, why is this still important today? And, and second, how does it um, benefit men? Okay. I, yeah. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Absolutely. Um, remind me of your first question. Sorry, but I'm already focused on the second one. What was the oh, first question? Well, you can start with the second one. I'm just, why is it still necessary today? Oh, absolutely. So we have amazing laws that have grown up in the in the place of the Equal Rights Amendment. So you will have many say, that, say to you, even here in Utah, well, we have it in our state constitution. We have these laws that have grown up in, in that place. Um, isn't that enough? And and yet we're seeing the laws that have that have been hard won by women be walked back and watered down um, in in terms of employment, uh, sex discrimination at work. Um, those laws are in place, but they've been walked back. And so the the realization that constitutional protection is different. It, it adds an increased layer of protections there for women. It gives us standing in our own constitution that we have never had. Um, it, it mostly will impact women in the courts. So right now we use a, a lower level of scrutiny when these cases come to court called intermediate scrutiny. And it means that not only do I have to prove that I was discriminated against, but I've got to also prove that there was an intent to discriminate which is a much higher legal standard mm -hmm. that you would have to, to have to climb. Right. So the courts in the courts, that's where we will really see this difference where women will more often find justice. Um, but we'll also, anytime there's federal legislation, it will have to pass through a filter of the Equal Rights Amendment to ensure equal access and opportunity and also equity, which is balancing of sort of the his, historical discrimination that women have faced. Um, so it's those two pieces uh, that will really make a difference for women and why we still must have it. You did a great job of answering that one part of the question. Now to the second part, Kelly. Yeah. What's in yeah. it for me? What's in it for you? Yeah. <laughs> well, I I think um, when we talk about the family, we're always talking about um, the need for, for both uh, parents to be involved. And that's one area of law that still kind of lags behind others. So for instance, in alimony situations where it's important for men and women to be part of their children's lives and to be active participants and, and working uh, with children in an equal way, sometimes we have in, in different states, we have pieces of that that, that aren't, aren't completely equal. So that would be one way that men um, would be impacted by the Equal Rights Amendment. Another way is honestly through the draft. So that's one of the big carryovers from the 1970s was this idea that women could be drafted. I mean, it, it's kind of a ridiculous discussion because we just don't do, we have a voluntary army, we wage wars in different ways. So it's kind of a ridiculous suggestion. Um, and in fact, in, in uh, 2019, a Texas court ruled that um, that the draft itself was unconstitutional because it only allowed it only required men to serve, and mm -hmm. they they actually were able they won that case and and the um, the service is actually looking at, at including women in an equal way if there were to be a draft again. And in fact, women have been able to be drafted all along. We just haven't done it based on kind of convention reasons. But men were able to use their standing in the Constitution in that court case, something that we as women could not do because we do not currently have standing in our Constitution. Yeah, 
Yeah. Mm. I um. I had, oh, go ahead, Bill. Well, I I I want to build a bridge here between talking about the history, and then moving kind of into where we're at now, where we're kind of talking about the present stuff. And I I don't want this to not get uh to not be part of tonight's show. So I'm going to add it to the stream right now. But and I'm going to remove that comment just so we can see Jana. That I'm sorry, Jana. The way Streamyard works, you you're at the bottom and you keep getting blocked out. But guys are at the top. Yeah, yeah. Look at that. <laughs> Yeah, we've got to we've got to do something about that RFM. So, hey, Bill, um, can I give a lead into this? Please explain what's going on here before this soundbite plays. This is my huge contribution to tonight's show, so I'm really excited about it. <laughs> so, anyway, no, my understanding is first off, I did want to make the comment that did occur to me while you were speaking um, that this is right in the time in the 1970s when the phrase "when the prophet speaks, the thinking has been done" or the debate is over. Uh, gained a lot of currency in the LDS church. And it became very famous because in Eldon Tanner, the uh, first counselor in the first presidency, said that in a first presidency message in the August 1979 Enzyme. And the really interesting thing about it is that um, he didn't say this on his own. He's actually quoting somebody else from 1978. I'll bet you know who he's quoting. He's quoting a woman. So this is how it starts. These are the very first two sentences. Recently at the church, this is from the 1978 First Presidency message. Recently at the churchwide fireside meeting held for the women of the church, young women president Elaine Cannon made the following statement, quote, when the prophet speaks, the debate is over. So he's quoting a woman approvingly in this concept. And it seems that maybe the timing of this is more than just coincidental. So anyway, that was sort of thrown out there for anybody's ideas, but, but it's also my understanding that at the same time that the church is making a statement that this is how we feel about the ERA. This is our position on the ERA and it's against the ERA that they're also saying through other people like um, Lefebvre, the spokesperson for the church, that the church really wants the members of the church to study the issue on their own and come to their own decision and vote their conscience according to correct principles, right? Absolutely. It's sort of, it's sort of this double messaging. They have the, the benefit of knowing that uh, all the members of the church, the good members of the church, are going to take their marching orders from the prophet. And if he's against something, then they'll all be against it. Meanwhile, they can say through this other mouthpiece that they want everybody to study the issues and vote their conscience when they know perfectly well what Mormons are going to do. They're going to follow the prophet and the prophet becomes the substitute for their conscience and the substitute for their study. So yeah. the thing that really fascinated me is that at the same time as that church leaders are presenting this message that they want their members to follow correct principles, study it out on their own, uh, vote their conscience, give them that at least public claim of freedom of choice, agency, that kind of thing. Behind the scenes, what's actually going on is that church is using agents of the church in the security division of the church to go out to ERA gatherings and rallies and find people who are attending them, write down their license plate numbers, run them through the Salt Lake Police Department so they can find out who the registered owner and address is of these vehicles, and then ship that information off to the respective stake presidents 
for appropriate action. And no, I'm not making this up. I actually remembered this. I'm always excited when I remember something. You'll find out how that is when you get to be my age. But this is from 2014. And Brent Metcalf, very noted scholar in Mormon studies, was being interviewed on Mormon stories by John DeLynn. And he told this story. This is his personal experience because he was working for church security at the time from late 1979 to around 1983. And he was in the, uh, the operations center at the church office building. He wasn't one of the guys going out and getting the license plate numbers. He was the one who was having those license plate numbers radioed back into him. And then he and perhaps others in the control center would then call the Salt Lake Police Department and get the information about the registered owners. And then it would go up to the director. And then it was their understanding that that information was gathered to be sent out to the state presidents. And I went back and I got this clip. Yeah. And, and it's I'll, two I'll, and a half minutes long. And this is Brent Metcalf's talking from personal experience. Yeah. And I'll play this. And I think it's important because after this clip, we'll move into the present moment and we'll talk about where things are at and what's affected in the here and now. And I think that really is the important part of the conversation for us to, to be able to do something and to uh, help progress. But I think this is important because if, if believing Mormons understand the degree to which the church goes to stop things and to prevent things, in spite of the fact that, you know, decades later, it slowly moves in, in line with that same, that same progress, although, again, behind. Um, it helps us to better sense that we can't just sit idly by and just assume the church is all good and it's going to always do what's best for the human beings that are a part of it. Um, and so here's that clip. I can't hear that, Bill. Bat unit oh, so sorry. Here, the church security sorry. guards. Um, before is when I worked in the security uh, control center, which was essentially the uh, dispatch unit for the church security guards. Um, I remember that there were a number of um, ERA meetings being held in Utah at the time. And on one particular occasion when uh, a rally had been held, and I think it was up at the the, uh, the Capitol, and then the, the folks who had attended that had receded to another location where they were going to, you know, kind of hold their own private meeting. And, and I remember getting uh, calls in from a certain security guards who were out in the field who were giving me license plate numbers and what we were uh, told to do um, which I even found extraordinarily troubling at the time as you know a faithful Latter-day Saint was that we were to call the numbers into the police department and find out the owners of these vehicles and then we got that information from the police department and in turn that was turned over to the upper echelons of the church security department who then forwarded that information on to the um, uh, respective stake presidents who oversaw the owners of these vehicles. 
And so the, basically that was a very strange interplay between, uh, you know, the police department and the security department. And I don't put any fault on the police department because we would call in all the time with license plate numbers of vehicles that were improperly parked around um, Temple Square or around the church office building. And, and they would give us the appropriate information so the owners could be contact, contacted and uh, asked to uh, take care of the, the parking situation or whatever the, the vehicle. So they didn't know why you were calling? No. Okay. No, no. We, we didn't say, you know, these people are attending an ERA meeting. Yeah. <laughs> right? We, we would just call them and say, hi, you know, this is so-and-so. We had a direct line to them, and we would call and say, hi, this is so-and-so from the church security department. We've got a license plate number that we need the information on, huh. and they would provide it. Your thoughts about that, yeah. Kelly and Janet? You know, that's, it's shocking, but I, I think we have to understand the level of fear that was happening there. There was a real, a real sense that, that, uh, that authority was being thwarted. I mean, you think of it, we really, we were coming out of the civil rights era. There was a real, um, with Watergate and everything that was happening during that time period. Um, the, the idea then that women would in some ways be, uh, abandoning their traditional roles was really a fearful thing for them. And so they did go to drastic measures. Even uh, Carolyn Pearson at that time came and spoke out in support of the Equal Rights Amendment and her, her ability to publish was withheld for an entire year in church magazines and publications. So yeah. when, you, when you see the level that folks will go to, and then all, obviously women were removed from their spiritual homes, right? So Sonia Johnson was excommunicated. She had some really um, spectacular run-ins with Orrin Hatch in Congress as she testified. But because of her support, I mean, she, this is someone who was so um, involved in ch her church membership. She played the organ in her church the Sunday before she was excommunicated the next day on a Monday. So she she absolutely was committed and dedicated to her religion and was removed. And, and you know, down the line, a Maxine Hanks, right? Similar situation where she spoke up, she presented a paper much like Sonia had done. And that was enough, that public, that willingness to be public with her concerns and her desires for betterment of the church and betterment of, for women in the church resulted in them being really violently removed from the place where they had, had really invested their spiritual energies. And, and, and more recently, Kate Kelly, right? Her work with ordained women is probably the most profound effort that we've had in the last decade. And, and for her efforts of bringing, uh, really just asking that question um, on a really fundamental level, what would greater involvement of women look like within the religion? Um, she also lost her, her spiritual home. So we, when we look at these situations there, um, I, I, I'm, I think it's devastating because I, I'll tell you, based on my heritage the, my, and my upbringing, the sense of fairness that I learned within the religion, the desire to recognize individual worth that we, each all, all, that we all carry with us, those are some things that inform my support of the Equal Rights Amendment. Um, my, you know, those set, that sense of fairness 
And that desire to treat people kindly and treat them as I would want to be treated really does grow from my upbringing in, in the religion. And so to see, to see some stand so prominently against it is really devastating. Yeah. Individual worth, isn't that a young woman's value? It absolutely is. I thought I recognized it. I uh, I wanted to, to jump into kind of the present moment, and I wanted you to talk a little bit about because one of the things you you brought up that we wanted to insert into the outline is some of the ways in which things not being equal affect people in the here and now. And one of two of the things you mentioned were domestic violence and campus violence, and I'm curious um, if you can maybe lay out for the audience so they can make some connections to how not having equality brings more risk to these two facets? Absolutely. I would say um, two things, uh, purity culture and perfectionism, the two Ps that I think, um, and then I would also add another one, politeness, right? So we are taught so often as women to be demure, like you just described, to be to, uh, sub subordinate. We're really trained in those ways. I, When I look back at my time in young women's, I don't think I was asked, what would you like to be in, what career would you like to go into? It was always assumed that I would, enter, that motherhood would be my career. And so I think in our training of women, we really don't um, prepare them well to protect themselves. So we, we trust them to, to uh, rely on things outside of themselves. So uh, rely on others as opposed to really listening to their own internal uh, thoughts and feelings and learning to trust their gu their gut. You know, we as women are good. We um, the feelings and ideas that we have within us are worthy and good. And we need to be teaching our young women to trust those instincts. And when we have such a, a profound focus on perfectionism, on checking boxes, on purity culture, which really draws focus then as to it really makes women sexual objects as opposed to what I think it's its intention was, was to really raise respect for women. It, it has that opposite effect of really drawing attention and, and teaching women to police their bodies and to police the bodies of other women and really, really turning women into sexual objects. I think as we, as we can pull away from that, those ideas, those harmful ideas, we really will arm our women with the ability to to advocate for themselves, to speak for themselves, to act for themselves, and not to defer to someone else or the ideas of someone else. So that that strikes me in terms of domestic violence. We have a higher than the national average rate of domestic violence in our state. Yeah. It's it's one in three versus one in four, and the campus violence we're we're seeing that um, be a major factor as well. So. Um, we have to, I think, rethink the way that we are training our young women and our young men. Now, usually when Maven, thank you, usually when Maven's box appears, it's because she has something that she wants to add. Is that the case? Yes, that is. Thank you, Bill. I just wanted to speak to um, what you were just saying, because I, I have friends who I think, ironically, because of the teachings of the church were um, assaulted or, or um, like, allowed more things to happen to them and their bodies than they personally wanted to do because of that responsibility that they already felt for where things were going. Like they, they were blamed for the reactions that the men they were with were having. And so 
I think it and my messaging was the same. It's very disempowering, even though they're trying to make us the arbiters of sexual purity, both for ourselves and the men. Um, actually, that blame. And I have two friends specifically that I'm thinking of that, you know, when things started to go awry, um, were already blaming themselves from the very beginning. And I guess we're unable to even say no for themselves or express their own opinions about what was happening to them and, you know, just let the guys do, you know, what they wanted. Um, and they blamed themselves. To, and one of them even went to her bishop to basically confess about something that happened to her that I would say was not consensual, but she didn't have like, it really takes away our voice and our ability to actually say no for ourselves. Yeah. I, I think it's a beautiful point maven i couldn't have said it better like that's incredible um i'm often thinking about how mormonism calls you to, when you have something inside your inner authority says something and that inner authority runs counter to the system's message you're often fe you feel pressured to defer that to to the outside authority and you can sense in a million situations when young kids go in for uh, leadership interviews, when uh, a young woman takes a young man, say, back to her dorm or to his dorm, and she's taught to trust the priesthood as, as from God and, and to question her own conscience and authority when voices come up within, you can see a million scenarios where it can go south, and it sometimes does. And uh, it feels as though the the most vulnerable among us are, are the ones who are at risk, both male and female. And, and I'm precisely thinking of children. And we've, we've got to get better at teaching human beings to trust their inner voice. Um, because I think when people feel that encouragement to do that, I think generally better things happen. Um, thoughts from you two on that? I mean, absolutely. You know, I'm I'm a huge proponent in in helping people learn to trust their inner voices. Um, but you know, something that just keeps rolling through my head is something that it was a, a kind of a rhetorical question, maybe not so rhetorical, that Kelly threw out, which is, can you have patriarchy and equality in the same place and gender equality in the same place? And I think it's a really important question that that the church and the church leaders have to ask themselves because, you know, I, I, I read a lot about what the church said about the ERA and about gender equality. And I think on some level, they genuinely are saying, yeah, we think women should be equal. Yeah, that absolutely should be. And at the same time, I think the, the theology around a nuclear family, which is, already in the minority of families, even within the church, and going down all the time, the percentage of people who fall within that ideal. And yet it's, it's such a protection of that particular model that we have not been willing to speak out to what is happening outside of that and what is actually meant by it. I mean, I, I went back and read some of this um, Ensign article in 1977 that came out that Boyd K. Packer wrote. And it doesn't age well, I would just tell you that. <laughs> but, you know, a couple of quotes from it 
um, there are there are basic things that a man needs that a woman does not need. There are things that a man feels that a woman never does feel. There are basic things that a woman needs that a man never needs. There are things that a woman feels that a man never feels, nor should he. Um, these differences make women in basic needs literally opposite from men. One other thing, he says, many thoughtful wives haven't the slightest desire to be reduced to equality with their husbands. There's that pedestalization right there. But I, I think that so much of this has to do with this grip that we have on patriarchy, which I don't know how the church extricates itself from that. I think there are ways, um, but they're pretty drastic and I don't see any appetite for it. And so I think the church is in a, in a quandary trying to, I think they, they speak to personal revelation and make your own decisions and study things out and vote your conscience. And yet they do speak out on political things, but not when they're political, it's when they're moral. And so if you're telling a good believing church going person that it's a moral thing and we're going to tell you what the moral thing is, what room does anyone have to disagree? So it's it's a huge pickle. And I, I, I don't think anyone that I've seen at the at the tops of the church level, it, they're not willing to to dig deeply into this and to explain exactly how they think we're supposed to do all of these things. How are we supposed to follow our instincts? How are we supposed to um, to work within what all families need and single women need and single men need and people people who don't fit the norm? Um, we just keep harping on this this ideal that that causes all kinds of problems for us. And this is these are the kinds of opinions that. I mean, like you said, Kelly, they're saying, well, we haven't looked at it in 40 years. I'm thinking if this is the reasoning, can we at least look at psychological studies over the last 40 years to say that, you know, all of this, where our needs are so completely different, is just not bearing out? <laughs> and what do we do with that? If that was the basis of why we were making these decisions, then we really need to rethink this. Yeah, I'm just glad can that Boy ask? K. Packer didn't mention little factories in that. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting it at any moment. I I want to get that quote. Um, and I was trying to find something that I had come across and researching for uh, or reading stuff about today's. But there was someone um, it, when you were talking about, you know, some women, or I guess the part of the quote you were saying wouldn't want to be reduced to equality. Mm -hmm. There was a woman who was talking about it and about how like about this false exalted status. And I just remember I loved the quote because she said, if it's so exalted, then, you know, we'd love to see what what man would be happy to change his sex and be as exalted as we are. Yeah. 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 One thing yeah. we've got to be honest about women's contribution um, I so often when I'm uh, talking with legislators about um, the bills that we are working to run, they'll say to me something like, well, my wife feels equal. And and we've got to really push back on that. We've got to recognize, I mean, many of them likely wouldn't be able to do what they do up there on the Hill without having someone, uh, a, a partner or a spouse taking care of everything else. Um, and, and so I do think, and I think that's a, a message for all of us, whether uh, you know, wherever we fall along the religi religious spectrum, to ask ourselves, are we benefiting from the unpaid labor of women? 
Um, am I acknowledging the contributions of women? Are we being honest about the ways that women have helped to build our society, our church, um, our communities? And, and I think we, we all, when I talk about a reckoning, it's not just for religious circles, really. It's for secular circles as well. Um, what are, are we benefiting are, or are we working for greater equality? Yeah. I, I want to ask you a couple more questions, and then I, I'm hoping maybe you guys are up for taking a phone call or two from, from viewers. Um, there's a note in here about power of constitutional protections versus law. You were talking about this earlier, Kelly, where um, the burden of proof in some of these incidents is much higher than maybe what is healthy. Would you would you mind commenting any further you want to you want to say about that regard of power yeah. of constitutional protections versus the law itself? Absolutely. So we know that that laws can be walked back and changed. There's a famous case, Walmart versus Dukes, where where they found um, discrimination in in women's management, the amount of money that they were being paid, and they were able to find it at Walmart in 350 stores. Um, but they, what, what that case decided is it pushed it back so that each woman in each of those stores had to try to litigate it individually. They did, and, and the cases from then on required that individual litigation. Um, it, so, so the laws that were meant to protect women in the workplace um, have now been kind of walked back. And that, that can't happen with that constitutional uh, protection, that filter in place. Um, the other piece, I, I think Jana mentioned the 14th Amendment, which does have an equality clause, right? Equal protection clause, which is often used as a stopgap measure for these cases, but really inconsistently. So sometimes it will be applied, sometimes not. And, and even, you know, one of the most conservative justices, Justice Scalia, um, basically said a lot of people think the 14th protects against sex discrimination. It doesn't. So... So we have these pieces in place, but if you look at like even the issue of, for instance, race, uh, we have the, the Civil Rights Act, right? We have laws in place that are meant to protect in those ways. Um, and, and even with those pieces in place, we still have not sort of reached that level of equality there, right? So um, when we think about women's, women's issues, uh, again, we, we need all of the things. We need the laws to help protect um, I don't think women could have their own bank account until 1978. That's within my lifetime. And, and I think, you know, so, some folks are shocked to think about the fact that, that those barriers existed. And, and the Equal Rights Amendment would not only sort of balance the scales in terms of equal opportunity and access, but it would also say, you know, we didn't start from the same place. And we need to acknowledge that because certain pieces impact women on a greater scale. Yeah. When, when I was working in Ohio, when I first got a job with the floor covering store that I worked for there, and I worked there for 16 years, very early on, I'm in my early 20s, and my boss comes up to me and he goes, hey, Bill, we're giving you a raise. This is what we're going to pay you. Um, but don't say anything. And it was the female employee who had been there six years longer than me and a hell of a good employee. And uh, he said, don't, don't say anything to her because we're not paying her as much because you're the, you know, you're the, the husband of your home. You're the, the father of your home. So we're paying you more. And so people have it in their heads that this stuff still doesn't go on, that this is that we're past that, right? Like, like we're now paying people based on the merit of their work. And the reality is all across the country, not just in Utah, 
we're still doing things in unhealthy ways and in and there needs to be something i don't i don't know exactly how we do it or what it says or how we word it but there needs to be something in place that stops that sort of behavior where an exemplary employee who has more seniority and is making the company as much or more money is making less income because of her gender. Absolutely. Like yeah. pay, pay transparency is so important. That's something that we believe would be heavily impacted because even in 2022, we are still having issues of, of pregnancy discrimination here in our state. So um, the, the, it oftentimes is the case where because the barriers to actually gaining justice are so difficult, women, women are dissuaded from taking things to court. So it's not that these injustices aren't happening. It's just that they are not maybe being taken, taken to the full extent to, to actually receive justice because they often don't, right? So women can invest all of this money, um, all of this effort in, and still come out the loser at the end. Yeah. So we all lose if we think about it because when, when a man and a woman are paid equally, they can equally support their families. And, and there's this kind of mirage about kind of this traditional family that really doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Like we, we really, it, it doesn't exist in the way that it might have existed in the 1950s, even still in the 1970s. Um, this is really a different time. And, and Utah women actually work more than women across the nation at higher rates. But oftentimes it's part-time work which means that they don't get benefits, they don't get a living wage, they don't have the same advancement opportunities. And really they, they leave work and then head home to work that second shift. And so they don't have the, the same opportunities even still, even though the economic landscape is so radically different. Can I take 60 seconds to float an idea and get your response, Jana and Kelly? I have gone back and I've looked at this issue. I've done some research. I don't pretend to know it as well as either of you. But I've also recently looked back and researched the church's position relating to gay marriage and the different permutations of that and the different fights and battles that have occurred over the course of time, most of them led by President Oaks. But taking all that into account, it strikes me that the arguments that the church used and maybe continues to use against the ERA are largely picked up from other sources. They're just sort of um, legal arguments or this is what could happen. And they are not religious arguments, if you know what I mean. Uh, they're secular arguments like the draft or unisex bathrooms or gay marriage will happen if the ERA gets passed. Well, I think that that boat has sailed. However, I think it's possible because I've seen it happen before that the church's reasons that are expressed for opposing the ERA may not actually be the real fundamental reason that they're opposing the ERA. And I think, and I'm speculating here, that one of the real fundamental reasons that the church opposes the ERA is because there is no religious exemption in it. And I bring this up because this is something that Elder Oaks always focused on. Any new legislation relating to gay marriage or gay rights, he always wants there to be a religious exemption in it before they will support it so that the church is exempt from it. And it strikes me that if the ERA were passed the way it's written, there's no religious exemption and it could set them up 
for a conflict between the Equal Rights Amendment and the First Amendment related to establishment of religion. And now you've got a battlefield set where I think their fear could be that the church could be forced legally to put women in positions of leadership and God forbid, give them the priesthood. Your thoughts on that? Do you think I'm onto something? Have you thought about this before? Absolutely. Like, I think you're onto something. Jana, do you have something? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, I think it comes from a very fundamental view of how the world should be. And everything stems from that. And so if they hear, if you've got this as your worldview, and this is the way the world should be, and I think they'd see themselves in a very paternalistic way, being the ones that have to show the church membership how to do it right, right? Then you're going to grab onto any uh, anything that buoys up your argument. So all of that everything I've read is, yeah, the, the church tie, it does try to tie it back to the theology in that, you know, this is, this is really not the role of women. This is not what God meant for women. They bring it back in that way. But I, I absolutely agree with you that um, I, I think that would scare the crap out of the church to not have an exemption because in, within their own employment, they would, they would have, there would be repercussions. Right. It's I mean, just... I have a good friend who works for the who worked for the church and had to wear a dress to to work every day. So, I mean, that, and that's it. That's a change that happened just in the last few years uh, where that requirement was relaxed. So there are certainly some practices that would have to change um, in in corporate life, in in community life and in religious life as well. Um and I, I'm sad to say that honestly, the the word this the only word we've really had since they came out with that headline and finally did give comment was really um, the desert. They did the editorial board at the Desert News put put out that article the day before we uh, announced in 2018 with Representative Karen Kwan, and and it really was full of. It was written by a woman lawyer, which is kind of a pattern of having women. Um, kind of speak speak um, some of the the things that maybe are harder to hear, um, but it had a lot of uh, bigoted ideas around tra uh, transgender um, women, and and that was really concerning to me. To th it spoke a legal perspective, but again, it was one that was really you could tell frightened of the idea that that the Equal Rights Amendment might be more inclusive, and and I have every hope that it will be. Um, I, I do know that courts like to look at things in a pretty narrow way. So it's likely that they will look at when the Equal Rights Amendment was written, which was right after we, women won the vote, 1923. So they'll look at it, what did the meaning of sex mean in 1923? They'll look at what it meant in 1972 when it passed. And then they'll look at it now currently. And we've seen some pretty dramatic shifts in our understanding of that word just in the last two or three years. So we've made some terrific gains in the LGBTQQIA plus community. And I'm, I'm encouraged to see that, that at least a third of that will be taken into account as the courts look and see the scope of the Equal Rights Amendment. We really, we cannot be excluding. We've, we need to learn our lessons of the past and recognize that when we exclude, we do terrible damage, right? 
and, and the women of suffrage had to learn that as they excluded women of color. Um, we've certainly learned that through some of the, the battles with our, our queer community in the last few years. Uh, we just cannot continue to exclude. Um, and, and I don't believe that equality will be stopped. I think it is a, a progressive movement that will continue. You're seeing young women leave the church in really radical numbers. I think that alone should should raise the alarm. And, and you've seen these polls come out where the church is trying to kind of understand why they're leaving. This is part of why they're leaving. They're leaving because they don't feel that they have real import and real meaningful connection in their religion. And, and those are things that can be fixed, but there has to be a will, like Janice said, for that to happen. Yeah, it, it seems as though... Again, Jana asked if maybe it was rhetorical, but the idea that patriarchy and uh, equal rights, they might be antithetical, number one. Number two is, Jana, you mentioned that, you know, some people don't fit in a box. And my two senses is that there's a facet of every one of us human beings that don't fit in a box. And we can't help but be the humanity that we are, right? We're doing the best we can and showing up as our ourself in this moment. Um, and so hopefully people were nudged a little bit tonight as they're thinking about this issue too. Number three, um, the church obviously knows it's losing women and it, and it knows it can't afford to do that. It knows if it loses its youth, it, as it said in, it, on its own, it's one generation away from not existing, right? And recently it removed a ton of its sexism from its temple uh, rituals. And I wouldn't say all sexism is gone, but it, a chunk of it was removed. And that to me points definitively that these, these men of, of older age seem to be catching on that doing things as the status quo isn't working. And so you just saw recently where I think about six of the top leaders went out and all gave talks on the same night to the youth. There is some sense of fear Um but we're not there yet. As you guys point out, there's a lot of work to do. And so my last question for you guys, RFM may have another one when I'm done, but what if somebody was nudged tonight in the listenership, if somebody's nudged tomorrow listening to the audio, where can they go? What can they do? How can they help? Like what can others do in banding together in your cause? How can we, how can we nudge the needle a little bit? Yeah, I, I have some real thoughts on that. <laughs> um, we So you can come and join in with us. We have uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter accounts. Um, the, the Instagram and Twitter at ERA Utah is a great place to learn about the events that we're that are taking place. February 13th will be our ERA day at the Capitol from one to three. We'll have swag. We'll have um, information. We have a one sheet that really defines some of these arguments, I think, in a, in a profound way, but also in a way that a conservative uh, portion of our, our citizenry can really relate to because the Equal Rights Amendment will not get passed here in Utah without bringing others along. So we, I, I know there are many, many who are kind of on the fence on this, and, and I would encourage those who have, who have thought about it and and considered it to really dive in and say i'm going to stand up again i i've mentioned that statistic of 80 percent of utah women want this 60 percent of utah men 
So I really would like to see men st standing up and speaking out more earnestly um, for these rights. Um, it's, it's ironic to me that women are expected to solve the issue of women's rights. I, I think that, that, um, that we didn't cause this problem. Uh, we, we may have had import here and there, but, but um, we, need the, we need more folks on board. And so please start having some of those conversations, talk it over with those that you care about, invite um, and learn about more information. Uh, you can go to our webpage, www.utaheracoalition.org and learn more under resources. Come join in. Um, and find and and advocate for women. But even even if you're not going to rise to that level, look around and see within your own sphere of influence how you can help to elevate the voices of women, and and start to recognize the ways that we all contribute to those inequities. Yeah, I'm I'm sad to say that in my early 20s, when that incident happened at my employment, I didn't do anything, and. Uh, that wouldn't happen today. And so I think each of us, as we, as we gain experience and um, go through more things in life, we realize that there are other human beings who don't get the same opportunities we get, don't get the same protections. And it's my hope that uh, a few of you watching and listening, that you'll be moved enough. Cause I think every one of us should find a good cause and contribute to helping move the needle to or towards a better world. And it's my hope that maybe three or four or five people at least watching right now, and maybe a few dozen that listen over the next couple of weeks that they'll do something and help make this uh, in this facet of, of, of where we live and this issue, make things a little better. So I thank you guys a lot. Um, can, can I say one please, thing though? Please, Jana. Just as someone who um, literally probably 10 years ago was still saying, you know, I, um, I, I feel equal in the church. I, I don't see what the issue is. I was one of those. Um, I would just say that if you are one of those or if you're one of those that some of these changes feel like um, it's going to be threatening to the traditional family or, or threatening to your values, um, I would just put out a challenge to maybe just listen to people's stories. They're out there. Um, mm -hmm. Listen to podcasts of people whose personal lives have been affected and just see if you can open up your eyes to see or just your heart to say, I wonder if there is more that other people are seeing than what I have experienced in my life. I wonder mm -hmm. why other people are are concerned and why we need this. Um because once you start really listening to other people and, and understanding how their lives are affected, it, it, it opens your, up your mind to think in different ways. And then you start asking questions like, is this the, the beginning of the end for our moral fabric of our society? What has happened in Europe where, you know, there are 10, 10 countries there that have, you know, an, an ERA equivalent in their their constitutions or, you know, in their governing documents and what has happened there for them. And, and just start questioning the status quo because it was something that I never did. I never questioned. I just heard, oh, that's a dangerous thing. So it must be um, rather than really looking into it and saying, you know, a lot of the things we feared in the 70s have, have happened in other ways without the ERA. And I don't know, my life still seems like it's going on track. So um, I don't know. I would just 
just a, a plea to anyone else who still feels fearful about this to do more questioning. Just question and yeah. do some research. Beautiful, beautiful. Absolutely. Do, yeah. If you guys don't do you, mind, we'll take a couple phone calls. Is that okay? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Let's if, do, it. do you have any other comments before we do that? You know, I, I just was going to mention, because Jana talked about this idea of feeling equal, I hear that so often. And I I really do think that it wasn't until ordained women that, that women in the church started to really question and ask themselves. They may never have been socialized to even ask, what would greater involvement look like, right? We're, we're busy doing a lot of volunteer work in religious circles and in our communities. That keeps us really pretty busy. Um, many of us work, right? But um, but what else? What else is there? And what would what might that look like? Um, I think understanding our history and our past, where we've come from, even like um, Emma Smith, reading a little bit more about her work and as a bookkeeper, essentially for the church, right? Understanding that she kept the books, she she kept track of of the um, the property that they owned. Like very a lot of that property was in her name because she was really keeping track of the, the economics of the church. Um, that's some, a fact that I didn't know after you know spending 40 plus years in, in the religion. So we, we need to do a better job of, of understanding the contributions that women have made over time and, and elevating um, that, those efforts, right? And we can do that sort of historically, but, but we must also do that now, right? Um, women's work is expanding. Um, beyond kind of what we have thought of it traditionally. And, and we need to acknowledge it and respect that. Um, I Just a quick quote too from um, <laughs> Kate Kelly, who I really credit with, with pushing that question out mo in, in, a, in our modern life. Women, she said, women can feel respected and validated in the church, but equality can be measured. Equality is not a feeling. And I, I really appreciate that. And I, I would add to that, quality is a metric. It can be measured. And, and we need to all be kind of taking out our yardstick and, and kind of measuring how we're responding to that call in our own lives. Yeah, very, yeah, thank you. Um, we've got a couple of calls here. So the first one I'm gonna bring on is Mary. Mary wants to talk about uh, her experience. Uh, on this topic. And so, Mary, you're on Mormonism Live with Radio Free Mormon, Bill Real, um, Kelly Whited-Jones, and Janice Bangler. Um, what's your thoughts tonight? Gentlemen and ladies, how are you all doing this evening? Good. Is that really quiet for you I guys? I want to tell you that... Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm, I must tell you it is gorgeous here in New Orleans. Um, in case you guys are freezing, um, in the early 1920s, my mother told us a story about once again, her father coming home with lipstick on his collar and my grandmother flipped apparently and packed up her things and packed up my mom's things. And they walked out the door and with their little suitcases and headed down to uh, to Grand Central Station to uh, catch a train. And when they got to Grand Central Station, my grandmother sat down, took my mom in her arms and cried because they had no place to go. 
she had no money. Nobody had any money. And so they turned around and went back. So you have to understand I've been raised in a fiercely uh, matriarchal home since that time. Um, the things I've been through in my life have been, some of them have been pretty freaking shocking uh, that I've run into in the workplace. I'm a professional. I'm an engineer. Very rare for a woman to be an engineer. Uh, and I used to think these guys would just die off, but I hate to tell you ladies, um, they just breed up more like them. So if you are taking, if, if being in the church means you have to take orders from other people, get out. Uh, if you can't make any progress in Utah, get out. Uh, don't beat your head against brick walls because I spent many years doing it and I'm even older than RFM, which I know is shocking. Not much older, but I am older than RFM. Um, please don't, don't, don't beat a dead horse. Thanks, Mary. Mary, thank you for sharing you. that and being vulnerable. That's I appreciate you sharing your experience. Thank you. Thank you. That's tough, you know, and she talks about this idea of like a lot of women feel equal because they kind of fit that that traditional role, that traditional model. But but when someone when when a spouse dies or when divorce happens and suddenly they're in plan B and they're trying to figure out how to make it work, suddenly the inequities that women face all have faced all along can be very, very glaring. So, um, and the support isn't always there, right? Um, my mom was divorced when I was 12 and, and did not find support. She was encouraged to stay in a pretty emotionally abusive relationship uh, by church leaders, right? Asked to stay in it. And, and that's just not healthy. It's not, it's not good. So I appreciate her being willing to share the trials that she's been through and really that experience of the plan B, you know, of, of having to grapple with the economy of, of um, being a single parent. Tough. Jana, what do you think about Mary's exhortion to you to get out of Utah? <laughs> if only it were that easy. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can totally sympathize with her feeling that way, right? And the, the reality is it isn't that easy for a lot of people. And we do have to kind of stay and make do with what, what, we, what we have. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem because um, I, I can totally sympathize with this idea that the church can never be healthy for you know, for women and for, for LGBT people, for a, a whole swath of people. Um, and I think if you give all of your authority to it, um, it 100% is true. Um, and it's extremely hard not to when you have been born into it. Um, and I, I, I also think that, yeah, Utah can be really, 
really challenging politically. It it drives me absolutely crazy at times, our legislature. Um, and, and in both instances, it's the same thing. It's people in power who think they know better than everybody else. And I think that is just inherently damaging. If well, you're going to there... be in power and you're not going to listen to people, you are going to do damage. Yeah. I know and I'm struck by this dichotomy. Where else in the United States, maybe there is a place where you have such overwhelming poll numbers among men and women in favor of a proposition that does not get reflected in the votes of the legislature who are supposed to represent them. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it happens wherever you have a supermajority. Um, you know, but it, it happens continually in Utah all the time. There are things that are passed that then the legislature takes into a special session and totally cuts down, you know, that are that are were things that were passed by the people. So it happens all the yeah, time. Do you, the I would thinks they know better than we do. They make yeah. me crazy. <laughs> and I would tell Mary that we are in the exact right place where we need to be making change. So we we yeah. absolutely are needed here in this environment. And and I would say to all the listeners out there, your voice is needed. Right. As we join together, I, I see great potential for our state and for us to be able to affect change. It's going to take time. Uh, it's going to take time and we have to stay with it. But I'm so grateful for the women that came before me who were willing to for, forge those new trails, push, continue to push and, and continue to fight. Because um, whether the Equal Rights Amendment is passed here in Utah or not, there's a good chance that the efforts that we make here will be matched on the national level and that will help to push that effort forward. So that could be a real legitimate way for Utah to have the Equal Rights Amendment is through that, that consistent pressure here in our state, a red state. We continue to work uh, for greater equality here because it matters to the national conversation. Yeah. And, and I just want to note, I mean, if the church continues to block healthy improvements, what it does is it gets smaller and smaller. And as we already see by Salt Lake County, the majority of people there aren't active Mormons anymore, right? And and I think the majority are no longer even labeling themselves as Mormons. And, and so we're getting to the point where Utah is going to become uh, less than 50% Mormon, um, both by people moving in as well as people leaving the church. And what you don't want to do is have a state full of people who aren't on your side who see you as having acted unhealthy and um, motivated by unhealth, uh, unhealthy reasons that you've carried forth things that have really caused trauma to people. And those kinds of things will stick in the collective memory. And so um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next decade or two or three. And, uh, and, and Mary makes a valid point. I think if people want to get out and leave, they cer certainly can. But also, just like her story she let off with, sometimes you don't get on the train, you turn around and you find a way to make a difference at home. Yep. And uh, so that's possible too. And I, I think it's important for each person to know what is right for them, right? For some people, it is absolutely the right thing for them to get out. And for yeah. some people, it is absolutely the right thing to stay in. And I appreciate Kelly and your optimism. I have to remember it from time to time. <laughs> There's still yeah. hope. Well, my hope is that we have more and more women and I would say reasonable women. It can't just be women because we uh, we found that, you know, there have been women in the legislature who've been willing to block this effort. So 
Um, so it needs to be reasonable women in in office. That is, that is a, a metric that we still fall very short on. Run for office, run for your local school board, run for your city council, uh, work your way up to where you could be potentially helping to, to draft these policies and laws that can affect change here in our state. That's a very, very real piece. And I, I would love to see more women in leadership positions. That's something tangible that we can do. Love it. Let's take one more call. We've got Marco on the phone. Marco, you are on Mormonism Live. We're talking about equal rights. Uh, what's on your mind tonight, my friend? Yeah, thank you for taking my call. Um, for, for the guests, uh, just a quick question, if you could quickly answer. Um, were your mothers the type of women that fit that traditional role that the church really likes to push? It's a yes for me. Yes, I had a stay-at-home mother who very much fit the mold. Yes, my mom was the uh, okay, mother now of for the host. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and now for the host, RFM Bill, did you have mothers that fit that mold? Yes. No, my mom uh, okay. was a nurse's aide. When I was 12 years old, she went back to school, became an LPN, continued her education, uh, getting a, a specialization in wound care. And up until uh, about a week before she passed away from cancer a couple years ago, uh, she was always working. Her and my dad both worked full-time jobs and took damn good care of us, me and my brother. And my mm -hmm. mom didn't put up with the BS of anybody. If anybody tried to push her around, uh, she simply didn't tolerate it. And I think it's her that I get some of my justice warrior uh, passion from. Yeah. And so, no, I might be the anomaly here. But, I had a very well, strong you, 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 mother. You know what, Bill? Uh, yeah. You and I are part of a, yeah, you and I, Bill, are part of a, of a, of a specific uh, special group then because <laughs> I can honestly say um, I was the fourth child out of six. And long before I was born, my mom was working as a nurse. And um, when I was in high school, same thing. She went back to school, got her master's degree from the University of Utah. And my dad was working too. Both parents worked full time. Honestly, I thought that was the norm. I <laughs> And once I got into high school, a lot of my, my peers would say very weird things about like, get back in the kitchen, ha, ha, ha. You know, really, really... I mean, I, I, I just laugh along because I'm a kid. I don't know what I'm, what's going on. But, you know, looking back, it's like, wow, that's kind of messed up. And just, yeah. just kind of thinking about how rigid Mormonism is with, when it comes to those gender roles. And here I am. I feel like a fish out of water when I married my, my now ex-wife. She was like, I'm staying home once we have kids. And I'm like, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> and I'm still going to school and things like that. And I, I just... I can't fathom how how some men, not not to make this about men, but like how men take on such a responsibility to both work and go to school or just other things, and also the stress on the moms that they stay at home. They're worried about the money too. Anyways, I just think it's fascinating, just the whole the whole thing about women's rights. I'm like, uh, it, it's 2022. And we're still not passing an equal rights amendment. It's just things have to change. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Marco. I should qualify that too. And just let you know that my mom did that until she divorced my dad. Like I said, when I was 12 
And at that point really did have to dive in and, and things shifted for her in part because they had to. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think you can fault any of our moms for following kind of that prescribed role. Yeah. Um, many of them were not encouraged to think about the other options that were open to them. And so mm -hmm. I, we can go a long way by encouraging that within our own young men and young women to help them understand that their options are fully open. Yeah, that's I, I will point. also say that my mom was educated. She had a college degree that was really, really important in my, in my upbringing. It was kind of the 11th commandment that shalt have a college degree in my, <laughs> in my home growing up, which I appreciate, but that was kind of part of that self-reliance thing. But as soon as you have kids, you quit and, and watch the kids. No, yeah. I do appreciate what he said too about that idea that patriarchy harms men. It does. Mm -hmm. It absolutely does. The pressure and the stress of feeling like you have to to um, hold up the economic sky for your family is that's something that we really share today in much greater numbers. But I, I think it can even be more. It's even more about economic. It's not as much about economics for me as it is about satisfaction and that recognition that we all deserve to be able to pursue the goals and dreams that we have for ourselves and and recognizing that women are often socialized differently. And, you know, I've served in young women's callings just within the last few years. Um, those messages are still being being put out. And I yet we have to change that. That has to change. Right. Yeah, very much. Um, I just want to say thank you to both of you. I don't have any concluding comments. You guys, I think, have been brilliant in laying out um, uh, an argument that I think we all need to be aware of and understand um, this side of things and not just assume because we're in 2022 that everything's been fixed and it's all better. Um, any last comments from URFM? And then I want to give these women each a chance to, to say something before we end the show. No, I echo what you say. I think you did a great job, Jana. Great job, Kelly, articulating your different positions and educating me as well as the audience about what's going on still, as well as a, a fascinating peek into the past. Yeah, yep. Any, uh, any last thoughts from the two of you? Um, probably just for me, I would say, you know, I listened to a podcast a few years ago with Sister Joan Chittister on it. She's a Catholic um, nun. And she was asked by, uh, it was, um, on being Krista Tippett was asking her, you know, about her own feminism. She claims to be a feminist and how that works within the Catholic church and being a nun. And, and she made a comment that has just stuck with me. And she said, the problem is not that it is the way it is, which I don't know, I may, I may disagree with that on, on some level, but she says the biggest problem is that we don't talk about it. We don't even talk about what this is doing to women within the organization. It's a taboo subject to even bring up in church circles right now. And that is a huge problem with what, you know, as Kelly was saying, all the young women leaving. And if you imagine a young woman right now who is in elementary school, she's growing up in a world that is opening up more and more and more to her possibilities and for her to be a leader. And it the, the gap between that and the church is going to continue to grow. And what are the, those young women going to grow up with feeling God's love for them is, or the, God's esteem for them? This is going to become a bigger and bigger, bigger problem. And so I just think that if, if we 
can only do one thing, we need to start talking about it. We need to lift the taboo and be able to talk about what this is doing to us and start um, asking the questions that we need to ask without, if we just continue to, to do what we're told, this is never gonna move forward. We need to be able to ask the questions and have some deeper conversations. Yeah, yeah. Kelly? I love the idea of honoring women's work, right? And so as much as we talk about this idea of traditional roles, um, recognize that women work, I, I was a stay at home mom for 16 years with three kids. And that was some of the hardest work I've, I've done in my life. Um, and so we, we honor women in all the places that they reside, right? And women deserve constitutional protection in all the places. So they deserve it at home. They deserve it in the workplace. They deserve it in, in our communities and our societies. And they deserve it in our religious congregations as well. And so we can all be a part of making that important change. I would suggest start small, right? Start with those awkward conversations that Jana mentioned, like bring it up. And, and talk it through and be willing to self-reflect and say, you know, how, how am I maybe contributing to the problem without maybe realizing it? And how can I stand up and speak out um, for greater respect for women, for men, for all of us? Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Well said, both of you. Thank you for your time tonight. We went a little long, so I hope I can let you guys go and get back to your, your families. But just yeah. uh, for the audience, hang on for a few moments. RFM, stay around for a minute. I'm going to let you two ladies go. We're going to wrap up the show and uh, you guys are changing the world. And so I, I just appreciate uh, working alongside you guys to share this important information. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Have Thanks a great so day. much, Kelly. Thank you, Jana. Bye-bye. Take it easy. RFM, um, let's talk for a moment about next week. Um, your thoughts. We, we're going to do something really cool next week, aren't we? I think that we are, and um, uh, it's gelling. I think it's to the point where it's almost solid. Do you want to talk about what's going to happen next week? Yeah, Maven, do you want to come on for a minute? Yeah, I think we should have Maven Look at that. introduced next week. Hi, Hi yeah, Maven. Maven. What are we doing next week? I feel like Larry Hagman and I Dream of Jeannie, not to say something overtly sexual, but you know, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden you pop up just in the middle of a scene, <laughs> and there she is, and I know that you have something you want to say. So tell us about next week, if you would. Well, first I turned my volume down because uh, it was said in the chat that my volume was louder than everyone else's. So I'm kind of wondering if the chat can let me know on that. Um, next week, there's going to be a very special guest. and It's going to be me. Um, the, the real Maven is going to be coming live, but I want some help from you guys. Um, I just want to know, I guess, what you guys want to know. And um, I've seen other People do um, address assumptions. And so since not very much is known about me, I am curious about what your assumptions and guesses uh, may be about me. So at the end of the episode, if you want to put them just in the comments for this one, we'll keep an eye on that. And then uh, we'll go. I'll have some stories. Uh, there's one story in particular that I'm getting a lot of encouragement to share. So we'll, we'll see how I feel about it. Um, and uh, hopefully it's entertaining. Yeah. Oh, it's also entertaining. The question is whether you'll share it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. RFM and I know some of these stories and we're excited. We're excited for the audience to hear some of them. We're um, I got to tell you, Maven, I, I, I can tell, you know, before I met you, before I, I saw, and of course I saw you at, uh, at Thrive and, and visited with you, but people are going to guess, you know, from your voice that you're younger and that's true, but 
man, don't cut Maven short. She has so much light. Oop, hold on. Is that a uh, height joke, by the way? No, 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 not at all. This is Maven has a ton of life experience. She's well read. She's intelligent. She's articulate. And she does something that amazes me. She is the best multitasker I know in my life. And I'm just really excited for her to get more vulnerable and for all of us, uh, the viewers and RFM and I is the, the host of Mormonism live did to, to be able to kind of get to know her better and, and to have the audience get to know her better. And Maven, I couldn't be more excited. I know you were sharing with me today that we might play a game next week of two, one truth and two lies, two, truths and, a, two truths and a lie, two truths and a lie. And you rattled off to me the list of all the things that, are part of your life experience. And I think the audience is going to have one hell of a time guessing. So we're excited to kind of put that together and uh, for you to kind of share yourself with the, with the audience and for them to get to know you. I'm excited too. I, I am. I have mixed feelings because the reason why I'm, I'm going to be the guest is because I'm going to be telling my family um, sometime before the weekend, um, I'm going to you know, tell them all the stuff. And so so then I, that's that was the biggest reason for me to um, to not show my face anywhere just so that it, they weren't blindsided by something, yeah. you know, without hearing it from me. So yeah. I'm crossing my fingers that it'll go OK ish. Yeah. And when you it's, say all the stuff, you mean your true feelings about the LDS church? Um, yeah, that and also that I am interacting yeah. publicly against it. You know, it's a bit of an extra, probably yeah. tough that's thing the to hear on top. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's that's real life stuff. And uh, I wish you luck this week as you kind of take that on. And uh, we never know how those Thank kinds you. of situations can go. But um, yeah, that's I that's what I was you. thinking. Yeah. I feel like I, I pretty well know my family and I'm actually not the first um, of my siblings to leave. But I still, it, you know, I I was thinking about it last night and I was just like, I really don't know. I really don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, I I. You should trust yourself. You, you'll handle it the right way, and I hope that they respond healthy. Thank you. Me too. Yeah. And everyone in the chat is being very supportive, and I, I want to thank you guys for that as well. Thank you so yeah, much. Cool. And over the course we'll of the next, real... oh, sorry. No, no. Go ahead. And we'll get to see your real face, maybe. Yes. Okay, right. that's going to be exciting. Um, if you've got questions for Maven, if there's things you want to know, if there's things that we can ask that would help you get to know her better as she helps our show uh, so much. And, and in so many ways that you don't even understand uh, helping with outlines and PowerPoints and slideshows. And um, she really helps keep me and RFM uh, on task and it's helping to per to create a better show. And so Maven, I'm excited for next week and it'll be a huge, uh, huge step forward for Mormonism live. Thanks. Okay. Have an awesome That's day, great. everybody. <laughs> Thanks so much, Maven. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, everybody. It's yeah, been thank great. Thank you, everyone.